Welcome to the Powering Tomorrow podcast presented by Clarios. I'm Guy Gordon, and each month we're going to be taking this space and talking with a special guest for a discussion about the electrification of our transportation ecosystem. Uh, from new battery technology, ride sharing, the latest EVs, consumer habits in the EV worlds, the adaptability, uh, we hope to give you a preview of what to come as the world literally races toward electrification here on Powering Tomorrow presented by Clarios. We want to remind you, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, and you can download it each month through iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite podcast. want to welcome our inaugural guest uh, who's uh, being put on the firing line with this little experiment. She is Joanne Muller and one of my favorite reporters in the transportation sector. She is the co-editor of Axios What's next, uh, Joanne? Welcome, and uh, I, I hope you're I hope you're ready for the inaugural ride. I, <laughs> well, I, thanks very much. I'm really happy to be here. Our airbags are engaged. Um, yes, <laughs> hold on <laughs> tight. Joanne, it seems like it was just a year and a half ago that all anybody wanted to talk about was autonomous vehicles, and, and now it seems like EVs are dominating the discussion. Does that mean that the focus amongst the automakers has changed, that there is a priority shift, or that we've got, uh, it's just a matter of buzz because EVs are more immediate? Well, I think that uh, we're hearing so much about it because uh, electric vehicles are finally reaching uh, a tipping point. You know, we've been talking about battery-operated cars for a very long time, you know, really a couple decades. And it's only now that we're getting to the point where, uh, you know, there, there are actually many choices on the market. There'll be a lot more. And uh, on top of that, you have, you know, a big political push behind EVs. It, it doesn't mean that uh, autonomous vehicle work has stopped, not at all. In fact, that's working, moving ahead, uh, you know, in some ways rather quickly um but i think that the uh the focus right now the reason we're hearing so much about evs is just because they're finally showing up in dealerships in in terms of the the regulatory push we, we know that we, we got the biden administration both through regulatory actions on fuel economy and emissions but also the infrastructure bill where there is a, a huge amount of money delegated to um, building charging stations are the goals that they are setting to have 50 percent within the next eight years of new vehicles BEVs is that being viewed as realistic or overly ambitious well, I think you can tell what the automakers think by the the response to that and the language that they're using right so GM talks about aspiring to have uh, to be zero emission by 2035. Um, all of the automakers said that they thought they could get to 40% EV by the end of this decade. So in answer to your question, it probably is overly ambitious. But, you know, on the other hand, if you don't set a target, none of, you know, there's no motivation to move. Um, so I, I think um, it's in the interest of the automakers right now for a variety of reasons 
to really push toward electrification? Uh, one of the things that the that, that kind of came to the forefront was the idea that yes, automakers are on board with it, the regulatory folks are on board with it, utilities are already planning for it. <laughs> Left out of the conversation is whether consumers are really ready and whether we're overcoming uh, the, both the range anxiety, the idea that there is not yet cost parity. Are, are those gaps beginning to close? Well, these are issues that should not be underestimated, right? How many times have you heard car makers say the customer's the in charge, you know, it's what the customer wants. Well, so, you know, there's all these other forces pushing toward electrification, but let's see what the customer thinks. One of the big problems right now you mentioned is range anxiety. So, uh, the, the, the Biden administration is, is proposing uh, that there's going to be all these charging, public charging stations added um, around the country. Uh, the fact of the matter is most people will end up charging their car at home or at work. And so in many ways, these public charging stations, uh, while some of them will be important along highways and so forth, a lot of them are probably going to go unused, but they'll be the, sort of a security blanket for people who are afraid to, to leave, to go, you know, go out of their neighborhood with their EV because they're afraid they can't get back. Um, just knowing that there is a charging station goes a long way to relieving people's anxiety. Um, but but I would argue there's a there's another very big consumer limit, and that is the price of these electric vehicles. Um, you know, it's all driven by the cost of the batteries and the battery components. Uh, these are very expensive electronics. The batteries themselves are very expensive. The good news is the industry has been making dramatic progress in lowering the cost of batteries. Uh, the the cars themselves are still too expensive. And so one big question uh, that the Biden administration and Congress are facing is whether they uh, will or should extend more um, incentives, tax incentives uh, for the purchase of an EV. Uh, you know, there had been, uh, there are currently some 70, up to $7,500 uh, for an electric vehicle uh, purchase uh, as, a, as a tax credit. But there's limit, there are limits on that. And some companies, including Tesla and GM, have already uh, exceeded the limit. And so those, if you wanted to buy a Tesla or a, a GM electric vehicle today, you wouldn't be eligible for that, uh, that EV discount, that, that tax credit. So I think um, this is going to help make, if, if they extend those credits, that will help make electric vehicles more affordable. And I think that's gonna be a big factor. You mentioned a key word there, that most of us are gonna be charging either at work or at home. That would have been pretty difficult over the past month, especially as we know, if, if, if our listeners come from the state of Michigan or anywhere else that was affected by the extreme weather that we've been seeing. Uh, just in Southeast Michigan alone, we had 700,000 electric customers without power. It certainly brings into focus how important grid and service reliability is because honest to goodness, if, if you were in a situation uh, like what we were in, for instance, in my home the past six days, I would not have been able to charge my vehicle for six days. That would have caused quite the, the backup at all the public charging stations. So you need to right size this, but you really need to have a well-hardened grid. 
Right. And and this is the, the you know, the key to infrastructure improvements. And uh, we saw it happen in Texas last winter uh, when they had some severe weather. Right. Uh, so our grid is not meant to support all these millions of electric vehicles that are coming on board. And so, you know, there will have to be uh, some upgrading there. Uh, but th there's one twist on that. Um, which is that, you know, at some point, there, there's this concept called vehicle-to-grid technology, which is sort of a two-way flow of power. So your car would uh, charge at home at night when electric, electric rates are cheaper, and you would have a nice full battery in your vehicle in the morning. Uh, but then you could you sort of sell some of that power that you're not using back to the grid at a higher rate. You could actually make a little profit off your, your EV, but this all depends on the rollout of smart technology and a strong grid and the capability to enable this really pie-in-the-sky vision of two-way power flow. So I'm interested to see what happens. I think it's still a ways off, but it has a lot of promise. It's kind of like crowdsourcing anything. Uh, you 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 could see a lot of uh, a, a lot of potential there to have a, a second market for power. Yeah, and you know what? One of the best markets for this uh, uh, uses for for this kind of uh, battery to grid stuff is school buses, right? Think about school buses. They're only used, you know, an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon, and the rest of the time they're sitting there parked but they probably would have a giant battery in them. Think of how much power uh, a school district or a community could draw off of a school bus between nine and three every day. It's kind of right. cool. Yeah, yeah you, you've been writing about, just from a business standpoint, the incredible offshoots that electrification is, is delivering already. E-scooters, electric cargo planes, and granted, these may be a decade or more out, uh, but you've reported on some pretty interesting stuff that would have been sci-fi just a few years ago. Well, basically, we're, we're going to be seeing the electrification of everything when it comes to mobility, except large aircraft. I mean, no one's figured out how to how to electrify a, you know, a jet that flies to Paris, you know, New York to Paris. It just it's 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 impractical. Right. So there are other solutions and sustainable fuels and so forth that those are looking at. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, electric uh, uh, electric scooters, electric motorcycles. Harley Davidson has electric motorcycles now. Um, you know, and certainly one of the things we're going to see between cities is electric air taxis um, that kind of look like a cross between a, a drone and a and a and a helicopter. They might hold two, three, four people, and they can, you know, basically go up and 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 in a few minutes get from one part of the city to the airport yeah. or to the next city. Um, and that's going to relieve a lot of traffic on the roadways and congestion and pollution, of course. And very quickly before we let you go, and thank you for this this wonderful status update, because I think it's a great kickoff to this podcast. It, it's As you're watching the, the ownership of component of this. Has the pandemic created a shift away from the shared mobility solutions that we saw that would uh, be more of a partnering and a sharing of, of cars and vehicles? 
and more towards personal vehicle ownership because folks don't want to get into an Uber or a Lyft right now? Or is that just a temporary phenomenon? I, I believe that's temporary. Um, obviously, the pandemic changed a lot of people's behavior. Uh, and, uh, you know, people did re resort to the personal vehicle. But the fact of the matter is, our world can't function if we just keep putting more vehicles on the road. So cleaner, uh, more efficient forms of transportation are the way to go. And so you're, you should think about electric rail or, um, or, or uh, even Hyperloop, you know, things like that where you can move large numbers of people without polluting the air. And I think we will see more electrification of those kinds of uh, transportation modes um, as we, we go on. But I do not expect this surge in personal vehicles to last forever because society can't function if, if we all are driving by ourselves in our own car. And we will remind our listeners and subscribers that you can hear more from Joanne Muller uh, at Axios by subscribing to the What's Next newsletter at Axios.com. Uh, Joanne, thank you so much. Great, guys. Good to talk to you. Thanks. And thank you for being with us today for the Powering Tomorrow podcast presented by Clarios. Don't forget, you can subscribe to each month's podcast downloaded straight to your mobile device. Until next month, I'm Guy Gould.